Hello, and welcome to the Three Vice Men podcast. I'm James. I'm Dom. And I'm Matt. And together we're going on a verbal pilgrimage, taking in all things craft beer. From delicious dippers to dandelion saisons, we'll be looking at what breweries are doing well, and maybe not so well. We'll also be looking at what trends look set to take off this year, and what we're excited about, as well as delving into some of our beery stories. Most importantly though, we'll be sampling beers each episode, and giving our opinions on them, unfiltered by untapped hopefully. So join us as we journey into the world of craft beer, and whilst we may not have a new king to look for, we'll certainly be worshipping a lot of tasty beers along the way. So sit back, crack a beer, and enjoy. And welcome back to the Three Men podcast, back at it again in the ninth episode of this series one. Uh, I think we've got one more before we uh, call it a day and start thinking about some new topics to talk about. So... With that in mind, I am of course joined by Dom Lewis and Matt Waring, back as we travel again, but this time further north out of Wales and into Scotland. Boys, how are we doing? How are you feeling up north? It's a bit chilly up here. I won't lie, it is a bit chilly up in the Highlands. <laughs> um, but yeah, all good, all good in the herd. <clears throat> Looking forward to this one, should be fun. Mm. So we, we've left Wales behind. Uh, obviously, we, we had a few beers that we knew from close to home. We're going a little bit further away from home this week. Um, a little bit like Wales, I guess, that there are some big-name breweries up there. Uh, Matt, what have you gone for for your, for your first beer? First beer, taking it back to where it all began. It's Brewdog. And not only is it Brewdog, it's one of the, the core range. Uh, didn't go as core as Punk IPA but it's pretty close. Dead Pony Club uh, is the first beer for me. In a previous episode, we talked about Session uh, beers. Uh, this is a Session Pale Ale coming in at 3.8%. Um, and yeah, I've had it, obviously had it before. It's, uh, so you see it on tap in a lot of places and bottle and can. Um, it's a great option if you want a low alcohol beer and you still want something tasty. Uh, Don, what are you drinking? Um, so I'm drinking one of Fault City's beers. I got this alongside some of their stouts, so I'm sure I'll mention later. Um, but this is the Sipper S Sour IPA, Volume 2.5. Um, loads of Mandarin going on in this one. 7.2%. Um, I believe it's currently sat at 4.34 and untapped, which I didn't realise before I cracked this beer. And yeah, I mean, it looks super orangey. When you taste it, when you sniff it, sorry, it's like almost like breakfast juice. And yeah, I mean, my first few sips were delicious. So I'm looking forward to the rest of this. Curtis, you look like you've got a bit of an aged bad boy going on there. I have. It's a bit of a theme of some of the beers I'm drinking tonight. This one aged intentionally. The other one, um, well, we'll get to that later. Uh, I've got Fine Ales, some of their origin series. This is the 2018. Uh, it's a, a blend of one, two, and three-year-old spontaneously fermented fermented ales. Uh, obviously, this is the 2018 uh, vintage, so we've got 2015, 16, and 17 brews in here. Oh, wow. So some of this is five years old. Quite happy with that, actually. Um, it was a very nervous pour. I wasn't sure how much loose yeast was going to be in, and sediment was going to be at the bottom, but it seems to have poured quite quite cleanly. Um, there's a bit of haze on it. but it's, Yeah, a uh, colour. Yeah, fairly amber. Uh, on the nose, it's got that. It's got that. Yeah, um, I would say yeah, Scotland's probably one of those places that their, acidity, their fresh I guess, produce is definitely some of the finest in the UK. Not mm. just with fruits, vegetables. Like even when you look at loads of restaurants and things, they'll get their it's, um, scallops yeah, and it, yeah, um, gaze, lobster and salmon. Nice. Yeah, so, this uh, is all from up north. Comes well, Scotland's not just up north. Um, uh, we've got a few topics we yeah, talk then about you get the berries uh, and they just first get one, obviously straight like you were mentioning with all the fan. wild wilderness uh, sort Scotland of going on wild place. there's just so many um, areas that these berries can just kind of take over the local and sort of for you to have access to uh, some of these freshest ingredients I think it's just a fantastic place to be able to play about with some of these sour beers some of these mixed firm beers just throw loads of these fruits at it and just see what comes out the other end, really. Yeah, I think it's an exciting place to be if you're in that field. Salmon. Mm. 
Um, I think maybe, but then when you have like these breweries will know how to do with it, and you just sort of adapt, don't you? You'll be able to though, change with, your I mean, brewing yeah, process slightly in order to maybe avoid those that, colder winters as much. Of, Perhaps in the winters well, you'll look maybe towards nice the south, anywhere you go for local, or you'll diversify your Scott brewing. Scott does like to trumpet their kind of local, fit the season. high quality produce. Um, it might be if, when if you, you look, look more into your barrel aging when you put things away for the winter, as opposed to you going to Belgium continually trying to brew like raspberries or things that are out of season. It's a lot warmer than you find in Scotland. Be much better putting what you made in the summer the into like winters. a wine barrel or just leaving it for those winter months and sort of focusing on something else i would have thought yeah <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those things you tend to find. Like if yeah, you absolutely. have a I, I, I brewery that agree kind of that prides themselves any on top salads, brewery, they are uh, able to segue a little bit into in those stouts. There does they seem to be quite like. a link they, they between the, the two, maybe. The I don't know be doing, so if they just I'm just making that link up. But it, it does seem to be something that the breweries that are able to do they also are able to do stouts. I don't know if it's one of those things where they just know more about the Aging or in the summer, I don't know. It's an look one. to see what they can do, yeah, over barrels or by aging or something, and maybe look towards some more stouts uh, and, and things like that. But yeah, they'll 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 adapt for, for the winter. If you're brewing you know, sours, you're looking less at the hops and more at the kind of adjuncts and and yeah. the process a little bit more of some of the other parts of the beer, which might lend itself to a sour, I guess, or maybe yeah. they're just good you... brewers. Maybe, maybe they are just good brewers. I was saying, that, are you have you made that link because you did a, a Vault City order last week, or can you think of maybe some other <laughs> some other examples? That's a call out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, maybe, maybe it was just the uh, the Vault City order, you know. But also, I was thinking when you see breweries that make lots of pale ales, they don't tend to transition the other way. Um, and Pastore, mm. Pastor, yeah. um, they've sort of moved into sour stouts. Or they've done a couple of sour they've done stuff. A few, like, yeah, yeah. They've done a few of the darker beers. Overworks, Brewdog, Scottish. They do loads of sours, mixed firms. But then they also have started this sour stout series where they like take a Brewdog sour mix and kind of play with it. So I think there are a few examples. I just uh, took a while to think of them in there. But... <laughs> Sorry to be okay. on the spot there. Well, well you've mentioned Brewdog. I think. Um... We probably should have started with it at the beginning if there wasn't such a good link out of my beer. Um, but Brewdog, I think you have to talk about when you talk about Scottish craft beer and actually really the craft beer UK scene in general. They, they were there quite early doors. That I mean, they've obviously grown the biggest um, and set the scene a little bit. Do you attribute that any to their Scottishness or is it just a product of, of the guys that were there? I saw that's a really open-ended question that you haven't prepped at all. <laughs> I, mean... I, I would say perhaps the Scottish mentality yeah. maybe helps them in a way um, because I feel Is that like... the alcoholism you're talking about? No, not the alcoholism. <laughs> see, see, I was going to steer away from that. I was going to give it like positive personality traits and things. Um, but no, I think... But the, I... The, you did see there was, there was uh, you know, five, not that we saw it, but yeah, 10 years ago there was probably more uh, craft beer breweries in Scotland than there should have been, if you look at how many people were there. And there, there was a scene that emerged out of Scotland. Yeah, but I suppose they also have like the space to do it because you'll be able to, similar to Wales in a way, you'll be able to buy quite a large or rent quite a large area to put up like a starting brewery and put all your equipment into for like a fraction of the cost that you could in some places absolutely. in England. So yeah, you don't absolutely. need to find an arch, do you? 
no exactly so when you have like those opportunities it's only natural that more breweries are going to come out of it i mean also the alcoholism helps obviously because then you have people to sell it to but <laughs> um i i i completely agree with what you're saying about the fraction of the cost because you know brewdog based in based in elon or elon uh, i'm not sorry to, to elon or elon i'm not sure how to say it but um but if for the same space they acquired there i think they they got some sort of loan from the government and, and they rented out this warehouse uh, to start brewing their beer for the same space in london i mean what's the difference in cost going to be there you know uh, i'm not saying it was easy for them i'm i'm you know it's obviously a big risk for them in a time where craft beer was wasn't really a big scene in the uk but um you know they were very brave to start off and you know they're now they're reaping the rewards but um if for the same if, if they had the idea in london i, I just think financially it'll be a lot more difficult um but that takes nothing away from brewdog you, you know they, they've done incredibly in the scene and, and a lot of credit should go to them yeah i think when you mentioned them being brave that was what i meant by the scottish personality trait it's almost like you tell well you tell a scotsman they can't do something and they're going to do it twice as well you know. as if you hadn't said anything. Like absolutely, you know, always... they can take. Well, they can take. They can take our lives, but they'll never take our punk IPA. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I believe that's a direct quote. Yeah, I think that. I think that was from James Watts on Dragon's Den. <laughs> or oh, not on Dragon's Den. Well, yeah, not. Yeah, on they never made yeah. it, did they? I know. It was no. ridiculous. That was such a crazy story. I mean, we we do have to sort of tip our hats a little bit at, at being the largest. Um, sort of craft brewer in in that respect the other thing I, i'd like to point out was that their bars started in scotland um i think a lot of people would have got into craft beer through a brewdog bar um and i guess maybe starting them in i know they had one in edinburgh 10 years ago that was probably a way in for quite a few people in as a way to try not just their beers but other beers that they can probably get hold of that you wouldn't find in, in your corner pub yeah definitely i think if they if they that's how they helped expand the scene as a whole because obviously they have the brand recognition of brewdog people go in there maybe first of all accidentally order a beer thinking it's brewdog and then it's not and then mm. it's just a slippery slope isn't it you sort of try one thing and it's like oh what's this one over here oh what's this one so yeah like they just open doors for so many people in so many ways so yeah you can credit where it's due I think uh, that's that's kind of how I got into uh, the Buxton Brewery, um, which kind of also led into how I got into Omnipolo. It was through Brewdog Bar in London. Uh, tried Yellow Belly on tap. Um, I think actually thinking it was a Brewdog beer. Uh, had it, obviously found it on untapped. Was like, this is incredible. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it obviously was made by Buxton Brewery, cut up with Omnipolo. And I was like, what is going on with this beer? You know, it smells like chocolate. Uh, it's crazy. Um, and then also the Brewdog, like the when they put the fridges up in the bars as well, like it's mm. a real showcase of mm. um, our breweries, different breweries, beers, and they just get loads of other uh, breweries names out there. Cloudwater, you know, you find them in Brewdog pub, um, pubs. You also find like I've seen Bird Mill in there. You know, breweries that I now love, I probably picked up a can for the first time in the Brewdog pub. So, you know, absolutely, it's a great showcase. I, I think I picked up a can of the. Uh, the Swimming Giants, the Burnt Mill Finback collab, um, which I think we shared, Matt, uh, yeah. from a from a Brewdog Cambridge, I think, and, and that was how I sort of started to love Finback. Mm. It, it was from that collab. I mean, I, I'd had some Burnt Mill before, so I knew that they were doing some good stuff as well. But that's what sort of opened my eyes to, to Finback and, and where that's gone. It's really nice they do their local taps as well because I think in each Brewdog now they have to have one or two taps sort of dedicated to somewhere local and like that's just great like it's nice that still the size they are they're still trying to shine a light on some of these smaller places out there that you just wouldn't know existed so yeah and I think Collabfest is probably a really good example of that yeah definitely Although Collabfest this year, it seemed places were kind of, they were brewing with breweries that weren't actually very close to them. Because I know Bristol, I think they did it with Verdant. And I'm like, well, this just isn't, it's ridiculous. But I mean, who do you want Verdant to, to collab with then? 
There's got there's it's got to be one in like Plymouth or Exeter or something. Surely. I don't know. It just mm. but but also it wasn't necessarily the fact that they chose in Verdant. It was just the fact that there are so many breweries in Bristol. Like there's yeah, got to be one you can choose in there, and it's kind of like I know they want to make the best beer possible, but it does kind of like cheat the system a little bit, you know. But if you could snap Verdant up in the first draft, then why would you not? Yeah, that's true. Why would you they, not? They, they are the big pick, aren't they? They are the salary budget gone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, moving away from the south coast of England, um, Brewdog are a bit of the old guard in Scotland, or old guard for craft beer. Who, Who's new? Who, who are you rating in Scotland at the moment? Um, I'm going to say because I'm drinking them uh, Vault City <laughs> um, Vault City are really good um, they do some sours which are delicious I've just saw on their um, Instagram recently they're doing a farm to firm series where yeah, they get cool. produce from a local farm and then trying to get it into the fermenter within 24 hours so I think wow. the first beer to come from this is a raspberry beer and I'm really looking forward to like picking that up and seeing what else comes from it. Um, also, fierce, fierce, yeah, fierce, 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 yeah. fierce, beer. They're really good. I won't lie to you. One of the first beers I had from them was a Brewdog collab. It was the Very Big Moose. I yeah, think uh, that was originally a collab first beer a few years ago, and that's like absolutely delicious. But since then, I've gone on to try some of their other ones, like Tangerine Racer. I think is one, um, mm. and like Kindred something, but. Yeah, they're, they're a brewery I enjoy. We'll definitely be trying to pick up more of them. It's just difficult at the moment, obviously, because not not being able to get to a bottle shop is kind of kind of a bit tough. So Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, following on from that, I was also going to say Vault City. Um, shock. I had, um, when we did Sour Week, I think I had a Vault City beer um, from them. Just really enjoyed it. They all the beers I've had from them, Bardi, Mango and Chili, Sour, which I still rated that they made, but I just didn't, it wasn't for me personally. Out there. Um, yeah. Um, all the other ones have just been like, just soft. Um, like, even though they've been sours, it's kind of almost been like a, a soft sourness, which is, which is something that I hadn't really tasted before I tried their beers. Uh, and then another brewery I want to throw out there is maybe Dead End Brew Machine. Um, I've had a, one or two beers from them. Uh, I think they're going to have, uh, post-COVID, I think they're going to be on the rise. So shout out to Dead and Brew Machine, but Volsity, you have my heart. What about you, Curtis? Um, I mean, I've got to throw in Fine Ales. I think they do some of the some of the best um, kind of mixed firm, you know, spon- spontaneous stuff, um, and that kind of Belgian style that you, you'll find in the UK. Um, and obviously I'm drinking them, so I've got to shout them out. Dom? Um, I was just saying, Fine Owls, they always do the Fine Fest, which yeah. is like a festival on, I might be Lock Fine, but it's like based around where they are. Literally, I was yeah. looking at it this year and it was like a six and a half hour drive. You had to go on a ferry for parts of it. And it just looks like such a fun festival. So next year, post-COVID, we'll, we'll hit that one up. We'll hit yeah. that one up. I mean, Hopefully I'd have to can. throw in some other stuff. Um, some stuff I've actually found you know, quite easy to get. So I know... Um, can't remember the brewery name, but the guys that make a disco forklift truck that you'll find in a Sainsbury's. Drygate? Drygate. Drygate, yeah. yeah. Um, Innocent Gun as well, who are probably the only people you'll find in a B&M who barrel age. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so there's that. What a great fact that is. That is true. Like, their their barrel um, aging is like a weird system though, isn't it? It's like a, they do it just yeah. enough. To it passes save. through. It counts, but it's not yeah they don't they don't make the most of it probably it's like six 12 weeks but it was definitely like an interesting introduction to barrel aging going off that series yeah and that their first one from the rum barrels the original that that was what really opened my eyes to that kind of barrel aging and what it can do for flavor the the one we haven't mentioned and we probably should have talked about it when we talked about brewery dog was overworks i know we we've talked about it a little bit but not really got into it i think they well they're the easiest sour to find in the Tesco's. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think having the, obviously having the Brewdog backing and the Funk Punk is just yeah. going to be everywhere. But then they've also done their Raspberry Crush, is it? Yeah. Um, 
that so when it initially came out it was like six seven percent and they yes. dropped it to a five percent abv i think for the market and they've also moved from 500 mil bottles to 330s which is going to be something that should like definitely hold them in good steads mm. um i do like their beers i think it's going to be interesting because they did like a lambic and we're yeah. charging 20 25 pounds for a 330 mil bottle and i was kind of like mm, it's just it's just not got the right feel to it because a it's not a lambic and b yeah yeah and b it's just like yeah that price it's, Elon, just, it's not a lambic it seems crazy <laughs> like that's more than mills like it's crazy yeah yeah uh, I mean, you might pay that for a barley wine late at yeah. night with a with a mate that comes in a funky box. But am I... <laughs> we've we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been there. But am I going to pay pay it for a sour from Overworks? Probably not. Do you think they're pushing the sour game forwards in the in the yeah? Kind I don't of think they're necessarily doing public anything mind mindset better than some other firm breweries but they are definitely helping it because when you look at the facts they can do like funk hammer so they take jack hammer they take a brutal beer put a spin on it yeah um it's it's like the access they have to that to be able to do some of those things i think will only make people interested in it more because it's like oh i like punk ipa oh what's this funk punk oh let me see what that's about oh it's got a little little twang to it Okay, yeah, maybe I'll try some more sour beers. But I think it. I think it's going to yeah. help, even if they don't brew the best beers. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I think we've got a little bit of time just to wrap up before we uh, have to take a break. So, Matt, the Pony Club, as you thought. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I've had it several times before, but you just really can't go wrong. I think as a session IPA. It's one of the best out there, but you know, Brewdog, they're pumping out. If you're going to make this volume, you expect it to be a good quality, don't you? So, um, yeah, props to Brewdog. They've done a very good session. Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed again. this. What I about can yourself, see why it has such a high rating on Untapped, to be honest. This you sniff it, you get breakfast juice, you sip it, and you get like that lovely, really strong orangey flavor. Um, I'm really like it's nice having a little bit of sediment still in it because it's almost like the orange bits you would get in that like morning breakfast juice. It goes down so well and yeah, it's lovely. Like you can, so they did it with like mandarin puree and that definitely comes through here. They managed to create a cracking beer. How's your vintage, Curtis? Um, yeah, it takes a while. I think when you when you've been drinking sort of fresh hoppy pales and and double IPAs to go back to a, a kind of blended mixed firm. But once I got over the initial you know taste disparity to what I'm used to at the moment, it, it is lovely. You can really tell that it's a blend. You you get the kind of I say fresher, fresher at three years old, but that comes through with the kind of deeper older stuff there. Um, Maybe not as much as I was, not as good as I was expecting, but you know, I, I'm still calling it a four out of five. So, I I've got to enjoy it, and I've got a little bit left, and I think I'm going to keep enjoying it a little bit more. So uh, I really can't complain. Um, that's the end of part one. Make sure you come back in part two, where we'll be talking about Scottish alcoholism, barrels, and a little bit more, as well as cracking some more beers. They drink beer, so much beer All other different types of beer They drink beer, lots of beer It's beer uh, Welcome back to part two of episode nine of the Three Vicemen podcast I'm still joined by Dom and Matt, I'm still James And we are still in Scotland uh, Before the break we had a nice chat about a bit of Brewdog stuff, but you were just listening to that, so you don't need a recap. Um, boys, what are we drinking now? Well, funnily enough, moving on from the uh, Brewdog chat, I'm now drinking a Brewdog beer. I'm drinking the 10-ton uh, truck Vietnamese coffee, um, Imperial Coffee Stout. 
I think the base of Ten Ton Truck started in the fanzine that they did. I've had a few of them, yeah. Yeah, and then they've done like a Black Forest one. They've done a few different ones. Um, so yeah, this is a straight up coffee one. Coming in at 10.2%, a bit of a big boy. Um, it's good. Strong review. Done, Matt. <laughs> um, moving away from Thomas Brewdog Beer, I have gone for a Brewdog Beer. Um, it's OG Hazy, uh, coming in at 7.2%. Uh, it is the New England IPA. Um, as New England IPA goes, um, it's not the best one I've had. It's not the worst one I've had. Um, you know, it's very unoffensive, but it gets all the stuff from a New England IPA that you expect. You know, it's it's juicy. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's not the uh, it's not the juiciest one I've ever had. But um, I'm sure I'll enjoy it nonetheless. Curtis, what about yourself? So I've I've stuck with my vintage theme. Um, the first one intentionally vintage. Uh, this beer was bottled in uh, December first December 2017. Claims to have a best before over the first December 2018. So um, hopefully that's not accurate. Uh, and it is. <laughs> It's the Brewdog collab, not Brewdog, Beer 52 collab with Pilots. Pilots obviously being Scottish, Beer 52 obviously being based in Edinburgh. However, I do have to make a slight confession that this was contract brewed in Belgium. See, that's so ridiculous to me. You take two Scottish brands and then you're like, yeah, you know what this needs? To be brewed abroad. I mean, Beer 52, they're they're a subscription box service. They don't, they don't have a brew kit. I mean, they've got a grain farmer in the office, but that's about it. Um, I know, but I thought that was the whole point of them teaming up with these breweries to make these collaborations. A brewery that has a brew kit. Um, Exactly. So two years out of date, here's the question. It's called Sweet Stout. Um, We'll we'll see how How it How sweet is it? I wonder what the ABV is going to be looking like on this one. So it claims, oh well, within date, it was going to be at 6.1%. It's, um, okay. How what the ABV do you think it is now? I think it was probably still there, um, but it tastes a hell of a lot boozier. It's got yeah. a real, real, <laughs> got a real backyard boozy. Um, yeah, back of the mouth. <laughs> the, don't get me wrong. The front of the beer is still quite nice. There's quite a lot of coffee in there. There's quite a lot of coffee in there. Um, there's there's some coffee as well with the uh, with the milk character. <laughs> And then real big boozy at the back. I mean... How are, how are we looking at with the carbonation? What's the carbonation saying? It had quite a lot. When I when I cracked the bottle, um, the car, there was there was still gas sitting in the bottleneck for it. But I had Ooh. to blow it out of the way. It was still there. I didn't want to take a whiff before just sort of accidentally... Um, in Whatever you'd call it. No. Yeah. gg But... Um, it's still got some carbonation. It's still knocking around. It's not too, it's not too exciting. I can see there's some suspended um, sediment in the bottom, but you know what? I, for two years out of date, I'm fine with this. To be um, fair, it's always fun when you take a beer and then have it like three years later and just see like what's happened to it. Yeah. Because yeah, nine times out of ten, it's going to taste completely different. Like I had a bottle of Pavel Quark, which is just like your standard Belgian full stop, like your Belgian strong. I think it came in about 7%. Mm. And then I got a bottle when I first went to Bruges and then it's probably had about three, four years later, literally like a barley wine. Like it was really? so much fun to drink. Like it was so interesting, but yeah, it was just completely different to the initial brew. Well, um, while we're talking about aging, should we talk about barrels? Scotland is obviously home to one of the world's best whiskey industries and um, has a lot of whiskey barrels lying around uh, which the alcoholics in Scotland have decided to use for beers and to be fair they've decided to use them elsewhere for, for ageing beer um, whiskey barrels I mean uh, first impressions with them lads before we go in deep in anywhere um, I think it's an enjoyable touch like I think we touched on before in Stout Week when you compare a regular brew of a stout to a whiskey barrel aged version of it. Yeah. It's always really interesting and it helps you appreciate the depth of flavour that you can get from that extra time spent in a barrel for sure. Um, I think I don't know enough about whiskey to be able to judge the barrels themselves, you know, like if someone 
put something in whiskey A compared to whiskey B, I'm not really going to be able to tell. I'm just going to be able to notice that there's a difference to the original brew. Um, but no, it's, it's a lovely concept and it's nice to, I'm sure if you are into whiskey a lot more, then you will appreciate it a lot more maybe. Well, Dom, we, we just got yeah. um, from Cloudwater the, the, I can't remember the original brew, but it is, it is barrel aged Persistence is Utah. Persistence is Utah, but barrel aged in Speyside whiskey. The Speyside whiskey barrel, yeah. Which, um, um, I don't know if that's just a trend of Cloudwater uh, saying what they're using. I know for their hop series, they're calling out the hop producers, but if I don't know enough about whiskey to know if Speyside is a, is a good whiskey, or I think it's yeah, quite I'm clean not sure. and not peaty. It might just be a region, to be fair, because when, or not a region, but maybe a region, but it's when you got like a bourbon barrel age, it's very rare for people to name the specific bourbon. It's just like a bourbon. Whereas the Paradox series um, that Brewdog do, it's like Paradox Islay, Islay, Paradox Islay, like it's the type of whiskey barrel. Mm. Um, so I think Islay's uh, area that the whiskey barrel comes from, um, which would be a really fun idea, I think, if you took a whiskey barrel from, like, I don't know, 10 areas in Scotland or whereas Irish whiskey is obviously quite famous. If you took, like, a couple of barrels from Ireland and yeah. then aged the same beer in each of those different barrels, released it as a set, I think that's something that would have a lot of legs, to be honest. I think I would buy it maybe out of curiosity. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would also buy it purely from curiosity because I do not know enough about whiskey to understand or appreciate probably the, the difference. But, you know, you find some people in the world who they won't drink Scottish whiskey. They'll only drink Irish whiskey. And you'll see some people in the world who'll only drink Irish whiskey. Uh, who won't drink Irish whiskey and just drink Scottish whiskey, sorry. Um, but for me, whiskey's whiskey. Um, y- y- uh, I don't really know the difference between any of them. I'm also not a, the, the biggest fan of whiskey. However, in a beer, a bourbon barrel-aged version of a stout, I can enjoy. But would I drink whiskey on its own? Probably not. But, you know, maybe we should save this content for the for the whiskey Podcast. Well, yeah, make sure you um, check out our sister the... whiskey podcast, <laughs> Three Out of Their Depth Men, um, the on all good, all good streaming services near you. I do have a couple of whiskeys, bottle of whiskeys next to me, but I won't get them up because I don't know enough about them. I just like drinking. Uh, and speaking of just liking drinking, Scotland. Um, they famously do have a bit of an alcohol problem, so much so that the lovely Scottish government have uh, tried to stop this uh, the way they've done this is by introducing a minimum alcohol pricing per unit so this means that you can't sell alcohol for less than a minimum price per unit I don't know what that price is off the top of my head it could be 90p I've, that's probably a Google because it's probably quite easy to find out um, my point where I'm going with this is and I haven't warned you guys uh, Obviously, if you make alcohol more expensive, craft beer seems more reasonable. Do you think, especially if this is something that might come to the rest of the UK and maybe even further afield uh, in terms of minimum alcohol pricing, is this a, a benefit for craft beer? Uh, absolutely. I, I think it's a benefit um, for sure. Um, because it, if you are going to increase the price of of alcohol per unit, your the super cheap beers that you might get in a Weatherspoons that you might drink just because they're cheap. The difference obviously then goes. The difference becomes less to the to the craft beer mm. uh, that's on available on tap um, that you might prefer, but you you don't like the price point. But you know, let's say hypothetically you're paying two pounds for a pint of whatever whatever Weatherspoons have got on the tap, and then I don't know how much punk IPA is in uh, in Weatherspoons. Maybe like three pounds something. Um, is it? Yeah, there you are. So even cheaper. Coming so right let, yeah, yeah, let's say you let's say you're paying two pound um, for your like bang average Weatherspoons like IPA. You see, um, Brewdog punk IPA for two pound. Let's say for argument two pound eighty. 
suddenly the price of the regular weather streams goes up the, the punk ipa that you know you like it suddenly looks a lot more inviting i think it's a i think it's a good move uh, i think it will benefit craft beer what about edom um i think it's quite nice as well because as a craft beer drinker um you're perhaps like i know i would spend a lot more on some beers than most other people would so it's quite nice to not feel the pinch of this so much like it's nice to not have to necessarily worry about the alcohol unit cost going up because it's like well it's almost like good wines to be honest it's like well i'm happy to pay that little bit extra because i know the flavor is going to be there i know the depth of flavor is going to be there i know i'm going to get something different with it so i think if you're not necessarily just going out to buy the cheapest thing you can find then minimum unit pricing is always going to be a positive like there are always going to be times where I will be at the beach for most of the day and will happily take the cheapest crate I can find. But like nine times out of 10, I'll happily pay a little bit more for a brand and beer I know I can trust. No, I think it's definitely going to be something that we'll have to, to watch and maybe, well, maybe get someone else to watch who can do an empirical study to see if the uh, craft beer take-up in, in Scotland is higher than elsewhere. Um, but they have got probably more per capita than elsewhere in the UK, and, and long may it continue. Um, I did look it up, by the way. It's 50p a unit, so I don't think it'll make too much of an impact at the moment. No, maybe not. Um, that, that, that's like tiny. It's only going to make a difference on like the Cloudwater MP Stouts, where it's yeah. like four and a half units in this can but then equally the can you buy is like eight pounds for the can so that's, yeah doesn't make too much of a difference but it was a lovely thought and i'm glad we touched upon it scotland has some exciting exciting natural scenery along as the wild as well as the wild wildlife and the uh, local ingredients that can be uh, thrown into the mix firms um a little cheeky point here northern monk went to the top of Ben Nevis, didn't they? And uh, yes. they went big. To the top. They, well, they the went top. to the they top. top. They went to the they? top. They went to the top of the UK. Do you want to pick up the point, think, Dom? I think it's quite a fun concept, you know? Like, they were doing it for a good cause. They were raising money for some charity. And they, they brewed a beer at the top of Ben Nevis. I don't think we said that before. but Yes. Yeah, they brewed a beer there. I think it was literally, I watched a video of it, they like camped out and then the next morning they had it there. They were like stirring yeah, the bottoms out, trying to get mash. a fire going and everything. Yeah. Um, I think they did, what, 100 bottles? Yeah. I, w- yeah. I, w- I think it was about 100 and it was, what, £150 each. But like... I thought it was like literally £1,000 each. Yeah, it was big. Really? Yeah. I thought it was I thought they well, were selling them at a thousand pounds each. I was thousand pounds. I thought it was a thousand pounds. That's ridiculous. Or a hundred bottles at a thousand. Who knows? But anyway, it's a cool concept. It's also one of those beers where it's not gonna be a great brew. No, but, I don't think oh, we've seen enough of them either, have we? We've not seen enough of no. those outrageously weird beers. It, it's no. like I love the concept and I back it, but I think it's one of those that I'm not going to crack if I ever bought it. Hmm. Because what, what, yeah. when you find a time to crack it, A... At the top of Ben Nevis. Obviously. And then B, it's just it's not going to taste as good as what you're expecting, you know? But if you have climbed to the top of Ben Nevis, it will be nice. No, I was, I was just going to say, the, the other fun concept is that in the beer, they only use, they use ingredients that they'd foraged on the way up to, up to the top of Ben Nevis. That's true. So on their journey up, they just foraged. Um, I think they might have foraged some raspberries on the way up to the top of Ben Nevis, uh, and some other stuff. I can't quite remember now. But um, that links back to our point earlier about Scotland just basically having all this great produce, basically just everywhere. I mean, Northern Monk were able to brew a beer at the top of Ben Nevis that they'd collected the ingredients for on the way up to the top of Ben Nevis. You know, yeah. that, that mm. kind of reinforces that point from earlier. What were you going to say? Sorry, Curtis. I was just going to go into some of the other crazy Scottish projects we've had. The uh, Going back to the B word and their insanely strong beers that they brewed a few years ago. I know they've stopped since they've got a £1.8 billion valuation, but the uh, I can't remember the name of it, but the, was it Pop Nine? Shop? 
that they brewed and they it came inside oh, some glory. Um, no uh, they did tactical nuclear penguin tactical nuclear, was that the one that came inside of the, no. the dead um that was the was that one not death or glory i thought tactical nuclear penguin was the one they did that was 32 percent yeah, that was a super high percentage one, but then they also did one that was inside like taxidermies of like a squirrel or something. They had oh, yeah. different yes. animals, it and was then the bottle yeah. was served inside that. Uh, yeah. Was is that, that because as well that somebody had said their beer was too strong? So they literally were like, okay, well, you thought a 10% beer was strong, we're going to brew an 18% beer. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, uh, and they like put in some roadkill. Like Tactical yeah. Nuclear yeah. Penguin was 32%. Uh, and at the it time was, was the world's strongest. Yeah, ice distilled a few times. Um, How many uh, check-ins does it have on Untapped? Do you know? Have you, are you on Untapped at the moment? Uh, I'm not. I'll have a look now. They they released 500-330 more bottles. Um, of Tactical Nuclear Penguin. Yeah, at £35. And then a further 250 Ooh. were available at 250 here you go. Um, I've just Googled it. Um, the beer you were thinking of, Curtis. Yeah. So it was a 55% ABV blonde at Belgian ale infused with Scottish what? nettles and juniper berries called the End what? of History. And it was wrapped inside taxidermy roadkill. Yeah. <laughs> that is mad. Like, that is literally a whiskey. I don't even know how you would... Oh, it's a strong 55 55%. 55%, yeah. Fifty-five percent. Crazy. And it, yeah, a, ro- a taxidermy roadkill wearing a top hat and tails. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to include their sink the Bismarck that um, was at forty-one percent. It seems they had a bit of a battle with this uh, Schwarzbrook from Germany. Oh uh, yeah, where they keep them, where they kept trying to like one up each other. Yeah, so they uh, they overtook them with tactical nuclear penguin in two thousand and nine, going from thirty-one to thirty-two percent. Um, this other brewery came back in December 2009 at 40%. Sink the Bismarck came in in February at 41% 2010. Uh, in May 2010, they came out at 43% and Brewdog went all out. Yeah. 55%. I'm still going to be really intrigued to try some of them. Like the Tactical Nuclear Penguin, I know they re released it um, not too long ago in like 110 mil bottles. Hmm. I think next time it comes out, I will grab one out of curiosity. Yeah, it's it's just a bit too big, isn't it? I know. Well, it, the thing is, it doesn't like it doesn't even have good reviews. No, <laughs> it's literally people drink it because it's really strong. And, and yeah, why that's not? why I would drink it as well. I'm not I'm not gonna make any like lies up about it. That's the only reason why I would drink it. <laughs> Straight packs. Yeah. Alright then, so the other end of the spectrum, Brewdog, we know they are a bit of a chaser of trends, trying to um, shift as much as they can at the moment. We know they came out with some uh, hard seltzers we talked about. It might have been in episode one. Um, They are still trying to push those, I think now in a slightly different format. They've now also come out with uh, Radler, which we saw from Foster's a few years ago. for those of you not knowing, that is a... Is it a lager specifically, or just a, a beer um, I, cut with think, lemonade? Yeah, I think it's a beer, but it tends to be a lager. like the sh- Because you tend to get a shandy Rattler. Yeah. And then, obviously, I don't... Like, you would grow up on having, like, a tiny little bit of beer poured into a cup with, like, a ton of lemonade to make up. So you can be like, oh, I'm having a beer. Like that was kind of where it comes from. So it's like these low percentage, pretty fruity. Um, I think again we're going the opposite way. This is yeah. a lot more popular on the continent. So it's quite a European thing having the shandy radler, like the lemonade sort of flavors coming in. Um, again, super easy to drink. I think it's a nice market to jump into. But it might take a while before it becomes becomes a thing. Um, it's weird that they've kind of jumped into that area at the same time as trying to push these seltzers. So I feel like they potentially occupy the same space. I was going to say very similar markets, yeah. Um, and in a market that's also becoming, you know, pretty crowded at the moment, 
I suppose why it's it's getting more crowded. Brewdog are probably at the front, but they've also kind of crowded themselves a bit. You know, it's true the market has, is becoming saturated. Um, yeah. <laughs> that li- that little uh, seltzer like Radler Shandy market. Um, so have Brewdog kind of crowded themselves a bit. I don't know potentially. As long as they can sell their beer to a distributor, if it goes to one of the two, it's fine. It's it's quite. I think you tend to see it late stage in a in a product life cycle. I forget the name of the chart, but if you if you do some business studies uh, and look at market saturation and maturity of markets, you find that uh, there are very few uh, in a high growth industry. You will have few products that are competing hard for market share, and you get a lot of marketing going behind those and that's tend to growth as soon as that growth plateaus or or when it plateaus you then see that um in order to try and generate some growth you'll try some interesting flavors so if you look at the uh yogurts with small side bits in the corner um there was quite a few or that there was it it was a, a product category it had high growth and then it tailed off and they started to throw different things in the corner so it cannibalizes itself a little bit, but as long as you're the one doing the cannibalization, it's okay. I don't think it's going to be the thing. I mean, I don't know if they serve it in anything other than cans. Out of a tap, it could be quite good in a market square. I think it. I think it's just shifting some volume. Didn't Northern Monk do a Radler maybe a year, eighteen months ago? I'm pretty sure they did a for as part of their patrons project. They did a. Mm. 2.5, 2.8%. It's one of those where you see seltzers and since one place has done it, you've had like, I don't know, five, ten other places like brew their own versions or do their own versions. But Radlers, for Northern Monk to try it 18 months ago and no one to jump on it until now, it does sort of make you wonder if there really is that market there for it. I I mean, I'd go for a Radler over a seltzer. Having tried three seltzers recently, um, just seltzers didn't do anything. Well, I don't like soda water, so that was probably the problem. Um, But would I go for a Radler rather than just a beer if I'm going for one? No, probably not. I mean, if you're looking at you know if you're looking at two point five percent for a Radler, a Dead Pony Club I had was three point eight percent. Yeah, you know there are going to be probably very similar percentages slightly higher alternatives I, I think i think i'm similar to you curtis would i would i choose a radler over a small session ipa i don't think i would yeah well when you look at um when we did the small one i think whatever episode that was um the uh turning point beer i had in that episode was like 2.8 2.9 percent yeah they, mm. they are exactly and um, you're just gonna get so much more flavor from it there could be a cost issue there, though, if you're cutting it half with lemonade that's 15p a litre to produce, or, or less than that, maybe. And you're only using half the beer that costs a lot more to produce. It could be easier. I think it might make sense for someone like Cloudwater that does some of their own sodas anyway. Yeah. Because if they did some of their lower percentage beers sort of like cut with that lemonade, then or cut with that soda... Mm. and it might be more cost effective but definitely to just jump out from that completely and then be like oh this is what we're going to do i think it's definitely going to deter a lot of the smaller breweries well watch this space and if cloud water do come out with something like that uh, the three vice men would like a cut uh, <laughs> wrapping up a little bit now um dom you've had another big beer how's it has it gone down this is the brew dog um Ten ton truck, Vietnamese coffee, was it? Vietnamese coffee, yeah. Um, I think I've had that flavor, before, but yeah. It is good. The coffee flavor definitely comes through. It doesn't come through as much as perhaps would want it to, but as not a massive coffee drinker, I quite enjoy that. Like, it's definitely, you definitely get coffee, but then it falls back on the chocolate a bit more, so it's like a bit more layered up with that. Yeah. Um, I think we've touched on this before with Brewdog Stouts. We've been... We've all been like, we've had way too many thick, like heavily adjuncted stouts by now. So although Brewdog stouts are really, really good for flavor, 
they just don't have that like mouth feel that carries it through so it's really good i'm enjoying it um but yeah like give me uh like you mentioned earlier a yellow belly any day of the week and i'd prefer that to this no um <clears throat> yeah i suppose pretty similar to dom in, in just in the brewdog respect i mean uh, og hazy uh, it's a good new england ipa but it's you know it has all the characteristics you want it's not doing anything wrong but it's also you know am i gonna remember drinking it in a week's time probably not you know I, i've had a lot of of better new england ipas but you know it's it's, it's nice um i enjoyed it um and from the selection of beers that you can get in supermarkets which is where um, my girlfriend picked this up from um you know it's I think it's a, one of the better ones, um, one of the better New England IPAs, but um, there's definitely a lot more bed out there in bottle shops and can shops. Um, but yeah, it went down okay. Um, what about yourself, Curtis? Um, well, <laughs> so I think it's it's probably not as it was intended to be. This is the, the Beer 50 Pilot Sweet Stout uh, collab. I'm getting slightly more of the sweetness now. I think I'm seeing a bit more of the, the lactose in it and what that was meant to be doing. It's not coming off as sweet, but more kind of that nitro stout sort of first sort of airiness. I get it a little bit, which is probably not a good sign. And uh, it's a good job when I'm not going to give feedback tomorrow because it might make a difference overnight. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for a beer tea is out of date. It's gone down reasonably. There's a reason it's out of date because I've never picked it up over other stuff I've got in. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, I'm afraid, on the Three Vicemen podcast. Um, we'll be leaving Scotland because next week we are travelling down to an old country pub uh, where we'll meet someone just who's the same hairline as Ryan and we will be trying some real ales. So make sure you join us then. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 <laughs>